iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, Ruckers, and great to have you back. We are now two rounds into the Six Nations and we have a championship already packed with drama and tight finishes that are tighter than the Sean Edwards defence. We also have so much disagreement. Was Johnny May jumping a tackle or diving for the line? Was Sebastian Negri's crocodile roll illegal? Or is rugby okay with that horrific Jack Willis injury? And we have breaking news from the Six Nations High Command who have admitted an admin error, acknowledging that for sporting integrity... They had intended Italy to play against 14-man teams in the Six Nations and not Wales. With me are our favourite star names, who are so committed to being with you every week that they must feel like your family. We have Alex Lowe, who spent most of Saturday being envious of the flask of soup I brought to Twickenham. We have Stephen Jones, who said that Italy were the equivalent of a poor premiership side. And we have Lawrence Alaglio, who gives it to you so straight and told ITV straight up that Eddie Jones now has to drop both Billy Vunipola and Elliot Daly. So, Jonesy, start with you. Despite COVID everything, do you feel that the Six Nations kind of is as magical as ever? No, I don't, Owen. And i tell you, I tell you why. I hope there's no employed criticism of our colleagues here, but it is the lowest Six Nations for coverage, like for um, inches in newspapers and for the position in sports sections that I've come across. I know that there's a big cricket test match on. I know there's lots of other stuff on. There's the America's Cup, etc. But I think that it's probably because that bond between the crowd and the uh, and the teams, which is everything in the Six Nations, is not there. And, and, and I think it's... Look, there's plenty of interest, but I think it is, at the moment, slightly downbeat. I think the downbeat feeling starts at... Twickenham with Eddie Jones. Alex, uh, I was worried about you on Saturday. Did you get a hot meal when you got home? <laughs> so I was envious of your soup until you showed me the mulchy noodles that are collected at the bottom of your flask and then realised I was quite happy with the hot chocolate I'd made to bring <laughs> to bring with me. Uh, and yeah, I did. Yeah, all good. All good when I got home. I was worried about you for having your ski trousers on, but no, no gloves. You needed some of those hot water bottles that the England physios kept running on for the players. Yeah, no, that that was one of the many mistakes I made. And and just a, a tip for for all um all, all listeners, uh, chicken noodles actually a rubbish choice for a Twickenham game because as Alex said, the noodles just coagulated at the bottom, didn't they? Lottie, you didn't ask me what I had for my lunch. I had tomato sandwiches made by Nick Kane. Really? Yeah, oh. that, was, that was rather nice. 
Honestly, rather, rather sweet. Nick Kane, regular listeners might have heard his voice here a few times in the past, and I just would never have had him down as someone before a rugby game, just cutting up his, uh, slicing his bread and making nice dainty sandwiches for you. Well, he, probably, he probably did it with a machete when he cut up <laughs> I was going to say, t- tomato sandwiches, I wouldn't have picked it for Nick Kane either, just massive hunks of beef no, between two huge doorsteps of bread, probably. Or maybe he had all the hunks of of beef and meat, and he gave me the one with only the tomatoes. <laughs> That's probably more likely. <laughs> Lawrence, after calling uh, for Billy V and Elliot Daly's heads on a plate after the game, um, did you get a chorus of disapproval or was your social media humming with agreement? I don't think I looked at my social media um, because I knew exactly what I was, what I was thinking. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, am I wrong? Do the nation disagree? When I was in the England dressing room, we used to call each other out, let alone be called out by people like the press. We used to literally walk, you know, be walking towards, um, you know, d- during during a test match week, you'd say to each other, oh, you need a big game this weekend, don't you? And you go, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, you you're in, you must be in the last chance of England because you've had a couple of pretty quiet games, didn't you, really? And, and we literally call each other out, you know, in team meetings or, you know, whatever, because, you, you know, you know when a player needs a big game. In the context of, of what I was saying on, on the TV, I've played some terrible games of rugby, personally. My individual performances for England have, have, have been woeful at times. I've also lost lots of games of rugby as well. But what tends to happen is when you have a, when you have a really bad performance, you tend to follow it up with a. If you're given the chance to be picked again, you tend to follow it up with a, with, with a very good one or a half decent one or a man of the match performance. And uh, I don't think we've seen that from those. I mean, I I played for England 49 times, and then on my and then we beat the All Blacks on my 49th cap, and then I got dropped from the team for my 50th cap. So uh, I don't know. Do you have to lose to be dropped, or, or, or you know, in the true spirit of creating a competitive environment? I think you can stand players down after after England win, not just after they lose. So, at their best, they're they're world class players, those two. But I think that they're, they're they're well below their best, and I think at some point that has to be acknowledged. Um, and they, you know, defensively, Elliot was all over the show on the weekend, and it's not the first time that's happened. And I'd even argue that if you're if rugby's about improvement, I think um, I don't th- you know I don't think his game's improved, and that, and that's not as a, a Wasp board member saying, "Oh, you know, being gutted that he left Wasp." But I, don't, I think he doesn't. I don't think he's become a better player since he's moved to Saracens. Is what I'm saying. And as for Billy Vanapola, I th- just don't. I don't see this sort of level of performance that we saw in him before he broke his his forearm um, and before he got, you know, unfortunately got ruled out the Lions tour. So in 2018, Eddie Jones was in it was arguably in a, a similar position with a team that had sort of well it had clearly ground to a to a bit of a halt and was starting to dip and he he said retrospectively that he should have changed up his uh, his players earlier re- reference i think specifically to Mike Brown and Dylan Hartley so do we think we're at that stage now where he's showing excessive loyalty or do you think that he should stick with with the aforementioned and and others, Jonesy? What uh, what changes would you be making to this England team to go to um, Cardiff on uh, Saturday week? You said it, Owen. Excessive loyalty. Uh, the changes should already have been made because now, in my opinion, Max Malins has to play instead of Elliot Daly at Cardiff. 
And what a chance it was last Saturday to integrate him into the team. Instead of Elliot Daly, who I really love as a player, but struggling badly, looks a fish out of water at fullback and always has done. The chance for Max Malins in there was passed up and that was ridiculous. With Billy, uh, again, um, I mean, everyone knows he's not playing very well. They could they could have made some sort of arrangement just to try Tom Curry at number eight or whatever. And I actually think, incidentally, I'm sure we'll come to this later when we're talking about Jack Willis. I think the next, I think there's going to be a Willis in the uh, English team soon at number eight anyway, be, watching Big Tom yesterday. But excessive loyalty is spoiling them. And then in, in the places where he's not excessively loyal, he's chopping and changing. So Max Malins this week, definitely. And I would almost certainly go back to the Tom Curry at number eight and bring in two flankers because Billy, God bless him, is just not Billy. Alex, what's your view on that? Well, I I would agree on, on, on Elliot Daly. I said I'd actually shifted him to the wing because I just... Certainly that's where Eddie, after the World Cup, was telling people that that's where he actually felt Elliot Daly would be best suited in in his England team. And I, I just watched the Lions DVD. Uh, it was on, on television the other week. And, and Daly just looks a shadow of the player who who was just who was so spectacular on, on that Lions tour in New Zealand. And and as both the guys have said, you know, he's a he's a class player who just isn't firing offensively as well as um, any defensive concerns. I think it's important to stress that none of us, were well, certainly myself and I'm sure everyone else, we're not writing off their international careers. I mean, that's not, I'm not suggesting that their days for England are, are, are over. I'm just suggesting that they need that they need to sit down and think about it for a game, you know? And I, I mean, I know that when I was dropped, the, the, the rocket it gave me up my backside, not that I needed a, a, one, but the rocket it gave me up my backside, but, you know, made me think very differently. And, and I think that, you know, maybe that doesn't happen to a player until he's actually left out the team. My view on Billy Vinopola on that front is he, he definitely isn't worth a starting spot because what he simply can't do now is is give the work rate that's required for a number eight to play an hour or 70, 70 minutes. So so he can't start. But if if you say to Billy, listen, you simply haven't got it for a full game, but, but you could give us if you could give us 20 minutes of really high powered intensity, then you could be, you could be one of the real absolute game changers out there. So I think that's the minimum. Well, he, he is a player. How Eddie Jones can say that it's okay for him to miss eight weeks of competitive rugby and still be play, you know, still be at the top level. He is the art. He's the absolute epitome of a player who needs to play every single week, you know, to, to be at that level. He's, he's not at that level. I mean, literally not at that level. The reaction to, to the Scotland game caused quite a lot of angst around the England camp and the England set up and people close to Eddie and they didn't feel that any of the any, any of the response was, was very fair or balanced. They felt that that we should be acknowledging that there's a plan for England. Eddie has told us after the Lions start, he'll start layering on the attacking elements of England's game and that he has delivered success to England over the last four years. That that was sort of the, the perspective around the, the reaction to some of the coverage. I think that the problem that it's not a problem, the situation we're in is is that there may be a plan going through to the World Cup, but we're dealing with game-by-game situations here and players who, who who are just demonstrably not at their best. And as you say, Lord, no one is saying that that's the end for a Billy Vunipola or, or an Elliot Daly to pick the two who, who we're talking about here. I just feel that we're in, an issue, we're in a situation where I think Elliot, for me, is just not playing anywhere close to how well he can play. And we all know how well he can play, whereas Max Malins is just pushing through and it feels like it's... It would have been a great chance to to start him. And then you have a decision whether you carry on playing Elliot on the wing and, and maybe not play Watson or, or May, or you or you bring him off the bench as well. Look at watching players, we know how good they are, and, and it's clear that they're just not firing as well as they can do. 
thing is, Eddie's got this kind of timetable in his head as as to when changes should happen, and, and so he's not averse to, to to making them and bringing in a young player. I mean, Tom Curry was brought in at the age of about twelve or something, and how magnificently was his development managed? But but on the other hand, you, you look at uh, Wales and. and Louis Rees-Zamet or, or the, the impression that Redpath made in just one game against Scotland. And then you look at, at Malins, and just as you say, Jonesy, you, you think, well, maybe he's ready to do that as well, but we can't tell because he's not going to be given the chance. Well, I think he's such a confident lad. I'd have no problem. I'd have no problem at all with him coming in for Cardiff. He's confident. He knows what he's doing. And he's, he's also not been mashed up by the England system. Incidentally, Eddie talking about fair and balanced. Eddie's view is biased because he's Eddie and he's the England coach. The fair, fairness and balance is not when you get not what you get when Eddie's making lame excuses for not, for England not being half as good as they should be. It's simple as that. And I don't buy all this, oh, next year I'm going to do the defence. Next year after that I'm going to do the attack. Get on with it. This is Six Nations. is a massive tournament. Yet again, the Grand Slam has passed England by. And tell me why we should not judge England on Grand Slams because in the Six Nations, that's the holy grail and they, they've, they've done it once in six years. There, there, there does appear to be a bit of rugby fatigue in the England squad. I don't know what, I don't quite know what it is. You know, they, they look like they need an injection of energy to me from, from, from something, you know, whether it, because the heights that they, that they hit in, in Yokohama, you know, were, uh, was such a long way away from, from what they've delivered in the opening two games. I mean, they, they're below base camp at the moment versus where, where they could be. Their attacking game is non-existent. The quality of their passing is poor, you know, just simple hands, you know. So I don't know what I don't, and that's not happened overnight. I mean, it's happened in the space of you know a lot that's that's going on. And, Ro- and Eddie mentioned quite a few times, you know, we're dealing with a lot at the moment. And I think you know every side is dealing with COVID and and the way that they can train, the way that they can prepare. But certainly having a much bigger impact on England than possibly we outside the squad realise, you know, because. They, they're, they're missing some sort of special ingredient that, you know, the enjoyment doesn't seem to be there, the, the energy, the bounce that you get. And by the way, you don't need the world's rugby media to tell you if you've played poorly. It's there for everyone to see. If they think that that criticism was was uh, was unfounded, they're living in cloud cuckoo land, really. It is a bit silly if England play Scotland, play badly, and then all the players, one after the other, come out and say, oh, we played poorly. And then the media go, oh, we played poorly. And then Eddie Jones says, how can you tell us we played poorly? That doesn't really matter. Well, I mean, one of the big issues is is that there's, because there's no crowd at Twickenham, Jonesy said it already, you know, there's there's very little connection at the moment, you know, not not for anyone's fault between the team and, and the fans. And, Every time someone from the team comes on camera, it's an opportunity to create that connection between them and the, and the supporters. You know, we, I don't wanna, we don't want to hear stuff that, that they've read in a, in a pre-typed out Q&A. You, you know, you want to hear their passion and, and, and that comes through. And all you need to say is, look, that was unacceptable, that level of performance based on where, where, where we set our targets. You know, we know that. You guys know that. You had to watch it. We played it. We'll put it right next week. You know, and there's that honesty. There, there needs to be that level of honesty internally. You know, they said to us, "Oh, yeah, we've discussed it internally. We've we've we've, we've answered the questions." Well, well, tell us, tell you know, tell us what you've done. When you say England are missing something, Lawrence, an area where they are missing is midfield. I, I feel it's almost established now that Ford Farrell Slade is uh, a trio of potentially 
beautifully beautiful handling passes of the ball, but they miss something a bit more dynamic. I'd have Ollie Lawrence back in there at a shot. How would you guys play the 10-12-13? I agree with you. I think it's been proven um, over a, a number of games now that you just can't shoehorn those three playmakers all into the same starting midfield. Someone was suggesting that you, you could get Henry Slade into the team as a fullback, but I think that's a little, a little extreme because he's, he's such a good outside centre. I, I would have started uh, with Lawrence uh, probably at 13 against Italy. And I've got, I think Ford Farrell works. I think you saw the way that England got their wider players into the game a lot more when George Ford plays. The problem is it's really hard to think that, that, that Henry Slade ends up being on the bench. Just feels that they lack, they rely very heavily on the big carrying forwards with, with that um, combination in midfield. And I think sometimes they could just do with a big carrying back to just straighten things up and, and help create greater opportunities to attack. I, mean, I thought Slade played very well against Italy. So again, it's not a no slight on him. It's just, it's, it's a balanced thing, a combination thing. Alex, it, they, they, you're, you're right. I agree with you about Lawrence and the, the need for a presence. But when you're going into the Welsh game, it would have been nice if he played against Italy the whole game. And in the previous game against Scotland, he, he hadn't played the whole game with one pass. You know, again, you, you, you've got to get these people up and ready. Whereas with Malins, I think he probably is ready. With Ollie Lawrence, probably through no fault of Lawrence's, that would be a gamble, I think, because just to go out there on the, on the principality and, you know, with, with one pass behind you is, is, is a gamble. I concur with that, Steve. I think you've got to think that, that Ollie Lawrence's three test starts for England have all come with, with Farrell playing at fly half. And I just, that's... One of the other reasons why I think going forward, Ford Farrell Lawrence against Italy was a, was a great opportunity to bring him into the game a bit more. Owen increasingly looks to me like a, a test inside centre than a test fly half now, just for the way that he he has not really been bringing the the bat line in, into the game. So a chance to start Ollie Lawrence against Italy with Ford at the fly half to bring some of that direction. He's he's not a, he's not a man who identical. He's he's powerful, but he's got He's actually got better footwork than than Manu has. He can beat players through, you know, through, through sort of brushing them aside as well as running over them because he's he's created an angle on them with his feet. He's a very sharp attacking player who just hasn't had a chance yet with England and and chucking him in to start in Cardiff. It's probably less of a of a challenge in an empty principality than it would have been in a full one, frankly, because the communication's a lot easier and and the cauldron isn't quite as as ferocious. But yeah, it would it would still be a, a big call. If I'm a defensive coach at the moment, which I'm not, clearly, but if I was, I don't think there's much I've seen from England in, that I wouldn't have been able to assume was coming at me. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I think maybe they, they'll balk at this suggestion, but there's a predictability about what they're doing on the field. The innovation is gone completely. They, they, you know, there's, when, when there's a line-out, you, can almost, you almost know exactly where they're throwing it to, let alone how they're going to throw it. So uh, I, I don't know why that is, because, you know, at their best, it doesn't matter what, what, the way you play. It's very hard to stop, but they're not. They're, they're, they're predictable, and I think sides have worked them out. I just think there needs to be a little bit more kind of innovation, and, and, and that, that adds energy, because when you do things that other sides don't expect you to do, it, it lifts you when you're watching that. You're thinking, wow, you know, they've really, they've really thought about that. You know, the first line-out in Yokohama, straight off the top, wasn't expected by New Zealand, and England scored after 34 seconds, you know, against Ireland away in Dublin a couple of years ago, and I just think, I don't know why, they've moved away from that you know when you start talking to players saying we're going to layer on our attacking game in a couple of years time players need to be told that you've got to do it every week not and you're not going to be around in a couple of years time if you don't do it every week it reminds me Lawrence that we had Ben Ryan was on our pod back in the autumn I think before 
before the Automations Cup final. And, and he talked of, obviously, Ben Ryan, who won the Olympic gold medal with, as Fiji coach, up against Simon Amor at that point, who was the England sevens coach. And I think, if I'm right in saying that, that Ben described Simon as the most pragmatic coach on the seven circuit it always took away the a lot of the instinct that, that the England sevens team or that sevens rugby sort of asked you to play with and I wonder whether that influence is coming through on the on the senior team it was interesting in the autumn when Jason Riles was there that uh, Owen Farrell and George Ford were seemed to be quite energized by his presence we haven't really had that impression from Simon Amor now again as you say everyone's as we couldn't be further away from the England team physically, but also it's very hard for us to get under the skin of, of absolutely everything that's happening there. But certainly the impression is that is that, that same pragmatic approach is being applied to the test team that, that Ben described um, in the in the seven setup. If you're a pragmatic sevens coach, you're a really pragmatic coach, aren't you? Blimey. <laughs> How could you be pragmatic coach in sevens? Jonesy, word on that um, Italy team, where in the premiership do you think they would finish? The only question for me was, Owen, and especially without Paledri and Umbanda, was whether I'd, I'd say they, they wouldn't exist in the premiership. Week in, week out in a 22-match programme, I don't think there's any guarantee that they would. But having said that, there, there were one or two better bits. I thought that Kanner uh, uh, in the centre added a bit. I thought Gabisi's getting into his game a little bit. They held up well in the scrum, but 29 games in succession is, is, is disastrous. Jake Preddy would help them, but I, I simply do not believe that they are a true Six Nations team at the moment and you wish them all the best. I thought they were a little bit better this week than they were against France, but uh, not to have really put them away, I feel, was was poor by England. Lawrence, I'm waiting for you to defend your countrymen. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I keep changing my mind. I mean, obviously, they're, they're, they're not they're not leaving the Six Nations because, you know, clearly we know that, that Rome is one of the best weekends we've ever had. So, there's, there's that, I mean... We're going nowhere. Promotion and relegation is, is just not is non-negotiable for the Six Nations. Can we, not just, can we not just bring over the old Wales game to Rome? Because I, um, I, Cardiff I, isn't our favourite place, is it? I'm going to be very, very... I'm going to take a lot of convincing that Tbilisi is a better option than Rome, let me tell you, or a better wine or anything really but there was reasons to be happy that their halfbacks I thought played a lot better I mean I, I don't know with Italy where do you go if you pick if you pick a really experienced team the most experienced team they've got I still think they get beat by 40-50 points so you know they've almost got no option but to throw in the young the young kids Varney's their third choice scrum half at Gloucester and, and that's what you're dealing with really so I, th- I think there just needs to be a plan with Italy because uh you know, they're very much a team that are talking about the World Cup, but really it's about the here and now for them too. And I just think there needs to be some serious investment because if you if you rele- relegate them and replace them with another country, I think you're still in the same position. Georgia get beat by 50 points in, in, in every one of those games as well. So there, there, there does need to be a plan on how we bridge that gap between Italy and, and the rest of the, the Six Nations. I think there needs to be a plan, but no, I don't think anyone's come close to finding it. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So listen, move on outside of the um, the England-Italy game. Two really dramatic finishes with France edging uh, Ireland, a game that they probably should have won by a, a reasonable distance. And then Wales getting the, um, the the benefit of a 14-man Scotland to uh, help them in. France are the, are, the form, are the form team of this tournament at the moment. But behind France, who do you think is the, is the team that is most in form? Because everyone else is stuttering, aren't they? Well, bizarrely, the team that's probably that's results probably don't reflect the way that they're playing at the moment is Ireland. Actually, in my in my opinion, Ireland are a better team than 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 what they've displayed. They're not that bad. I mean, they had a lot of possession against France, didn't use it that wisely, and and we know what happened against Scotland when they lost Peter Mahoney. So even though that they've they've lost both their games, I I wouldn't be too dev- down and, and disappointed because at least there's a there's, there's a pattern and a, and, a, and a style that they're trying to play and a way that they're trying to move forward as a team. And I think that they will start to get results quite shortly. I thought there was a lot to be optimistic about, really. Jonesy, so so. Ireland are two defeats from two and the way sporting psychology goes, they, they could get down on themselves and conversely, Wales are two wins from two and, and the confidence should be starting to sort of uh, beat through their through the pulses of their veins. Who Do you, do you think that Wales are, are building or just, just lucky? Well, they're, they're both because they're, 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 they're fortunate. You're always fortunate when two people, uh, you know, go off. I have to say I was absolutely staggered that someone of the eminence of Sir Ian McGeekin should say he was the, the, the red card for uh, Ferguson was, was, was unjustified. That's absolute rubbish. Uh, I mean, in the sense that if the referee had not sent Ferguson off for what he did, he would have had world rugby down on him like a sack of potatoes. Uh, I, I think is Wales have got they've got so many players out. I think that Josh Adams is back for the Welsh game. I don't know whether Jonathan Davis will, will be fit uh, or Navidi or Paul Moriarty, but they are. <laughs> Sorry. I love it when you bring Paul Moriarty back yeah. into this conversation. It's yeah. just the highlight. I, I don't know whether the aging Paul Moriarty or even his son Ross will be fit for, for the game, but. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think the thing is with Wales, you, they take it. I mean, they know that you're always lucky when you lost a player. But actually, at the start of the season, you think, hang on, they're only going to beat Italy. Now they're in contention and they must fancy the job against England, although they won't be favourites. So I think, they, they, I think they think this was always a rebuilding year. And uh, when we get some players back, it might not turn out so bad after all. Lawrence, can, can I pick your brains on... On being a, or can you take us into the back row? Because we saw Omani sent off for uh, what was a, clear, a reckless clear out to the head. Ferguson went off. It was, it was the circumstances were slightly different, but he was sent off for a strike to the head in the clear out. Now we're discussing Jackless being injured from a crocodile roll, which is arguably the only way you can clear a, a, a jackler out to avoid the risk of striking them in the head because they're so strong and powerful over the ball. So where do we go with it? If you, if you can't clear out too high because you risk a headshot, and obviously we, we want to avoid crocodile rolls because it's it's career-threatening, career-ending injuries are, are being caused there. What do we do? 
you know, clearly as a, as a, as a forward or, or in any rugby player, the, the first thing you've got to do is get to the breakdown first, haven't you? So it's about speed. And then you're always taught then after you get to the breakdown, it's about the, the height that you engage at the breakdown. And that, that is obviously an issue. Uh, and then you've got to clear, you know, clear the player out. So I just think with the, with, with the way the sport's going right now and with, with all the issues that we've seen and, and, the, and all the, the news around concussion and head injuries, et cetera, you know, all of these players knew coming into the and coaches knew coming into the tournament that you know any contact with a head with force is going to be a red card. Now, whether we agree with that or not is 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 just part of that conversation. That that is the way the game has, has moved. And uh, what was normally just a normal rugby incident, in fact, the interesting thing was that Omahani cleared the player out. And was it Samson Lee? I can't remember exactly who it was. Thomas Francis, I think. Francis. Thomas Francis. So he cleared him out. And actually, from the angle that Wayne Barnes had, he, there was no issue with, with with the clear out. It was what we call a traditional, pretty tough clear out. It wasn't it? Until you looked at it from the other angle, that actually the body height that Peter Money um, came in at, um, you know, made direct contact with the head. Now players just now have to, and the same with Zan Ferguson. You know, a few years ago that wouldn't have even been looked at as an incident. But what we've started to get is a lot of noises, particularly on social media, saying, "Have you seen every every?" Every rugby fan is analysing every breakdown and, and, when, and when, where there's contact, you know, he's saying, well, why is that not being dealt with? You know, why is that not being dealt with players going off their feet, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's a, I think players have got to stop and think now before they before they arrive at the breakdown. And particularly with O'Mahony and Ferguson, they came in from a reasonably long way away and I think there was an opportunity. Now, I know it's not instinctive to allow the opposition to have the ball, but unfortunately, you've got to have a little stop and a pause and a think before you attack a breakdown in the same way. And just going back to your point about the Jackal, I mean, the Jackal is Jack Willis's, you know, secret weapon. He's the best player in the world over the ball. So he's the last person that is actually going to be voting for removing the Jackal as a, a, as a way of turning the ball over. Unfortunately, when you don't arrive in the right body position, the crocodile role, I do believe, and I'm sure everyone would agree, is something that is going to have to be removed from the game. Because uh, if you can't hit someone off the ball fairly, then rolling them off the ball should not be should not be allowed. Because in, in the art of rolling, a jackler is always going to have his studs planted in the ground and you're going to get either a broken ankle or, or as we saw in the case of Willis, a torn and ruptured knee ligament. So uh, I do think they have to outlaw that. Lawrence, isn't, isn't this where rugby is just rugby and you you change one thing for the right reasons that you're suggesting and then you cause another problem further down the line? I mean, as, as Alex said, the reason people are crocodile rolling is because it's so hard to remove a jackler from the ball. So when George Ford says it's a ticking time bomb, it becomes even worse. Well, if you take away the jackal, might as well you know create basketball where you just get sides that are just going to have you know, multiple phases and, and, and never lose the ball. The thing about the crocodile roll is if it's a neck roll, you know, that is deemed to be illegal and foul play. Yeah. But if it's a knee roll, you know, or, or a roll that, that, that results in a, in a snap knee ligament, that's okay at the moment. So I don't really understand that. A crocodile roll is a crocodile roll. It's dangerous wherever you do it. And I think it should be outlawed. Owen, you're dead right what you said then. There's all this unintended consequence and suddenly you start changing laws. Then you've got to change another one and another one. So it's very, very difficult. But I think what Lawrence said then should be recorded and sent to to World Rugby because I thought that was a perfect summary. Well, I think World Rugby listens to this podcast, don't they? So it's probably unnecessary. Do they? Well, we insult them all the time. I wouldn't if I was them. Okay, a little um, lines focus, uh, chaps, if we can. So, there are some areas of the of the uh, the potential lines team. If if we do get to see one this summer, there are some some areas of that team that are looking very competitive. Front row, back row, wings looking pretty strong. The, the bit that were that has me really scratching my head at the moment is the halfbacks. Who would you be picking at halfback? Because 
there's there's no scrum half who's really ripping it up, and the only ten that's playing really particularly well is um is uh, Finn Russell, uh, which is another conversation altogether. Yeah, I'd, I'd, pick, I'd take Anton Dupont at my halfback, really. I mean, there's no, <laughs> no doubt about that. Oh, sorry, we, sorry, it's the Lions. No, no one quite knows where you're playing either. I mean, you know, you play, you're playing in South Africa, where uh, where clearly there, there, there's a slightly different sort of style required, I think, um, or... Or are you playing, you know, in the UK? But uh, no, it's, it's. I mean, I would say it's still up for grabs. Is what I, I don't think we, anyone should be pushed on 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 naming a, a, a nine and a ten for uh, for the Lions yet because Warren. I don't think Warren Gatlin knows who who made the biggest impact when he came in on the weekend. No, no question, Dan Robson. And I think because of the problem that uh, Eddie's clearly got with pick, picking down, he, he gives him five minutes at the end, or he may give him half an hour when it's going badly. And his refusal to to, to stand Ben Youngs down just for one game in 104, whatever it is, is ridiculous. I would take, I'd definitely take Gareth Davis because he is a competitive animal. And I would take Dan Robson, and that leaves one space for some for someone else. I think Dan Robson is a very, very badly done-to player. I think Gareth Davis is a physical specimen. So there's there's my two scrum halves. Alex, where are you on all this? Mm, yeah, and where Warren Gatland is, which is I don't have an answer yet, um, which is concerning because at nine ten, and even in midfield, you, you'd at this point you'd you'd want to have too many options. You want you know, as you say, Finn Russell is the most sort of outstanding of the of the fly half candidates at the moment. But I said on on this pod a few weeks ago, I just don't see him being a Warren Gatland pick for a Lions test again no slight on Finn Russell it's just a style thing and the way that that, the Gatlin tends to set up his teams which would make Owen Farrell more likely to start at at fly half although I'm not sure that that's necessarily his best position now at at, at test level yeah you've got George Ford pushing Dan Bigger is a is a player who Warren Gatlin knows really well great competitor you know I'm a a big fan of Dan Bigger because just because of his he's you know he's similar to Farrell in that sort of real competitive drive that he's got, which is important on, on a Lions tour. I just, I, I don't have solid answers on it yet because I don't think, as Lawrence said at the, at the outset, yeah. but the I don't think line, anyone is, yeah. is grabbing those positions. But the whole ethos of the Lions is, is that, is that you don't, you, you play your way into the test team on the tour itself. So, you know, it, I, I know it's lovely for us to go, who's our test 10 now? Well, I mean, that, that just never happens on a tour. You know, it, it's about who, who has the right to fight for selection. So who are the tens that get on the plane? And at the moment, the tens on the plane will, you know, I don't think it'll be largely different from 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 what everyone expects. Finn Russell, uh, you know, Johnny Sexton will be there and so will Owen Farrell. And I, I suspect it will come from one of those three. OK, listen, um, let, let's move away for, uh, from Six Nations and, and just do a, a little bit of, um, of uh, domestic rugby politics because um, predictably late on Friday evening, a, a quiet little email petered out into the ether telling us that um, actually there was going to be no relegation at the end of this season. The uh, premiership was going to go up to 13 teams. And quite frankly, I don't think... Um, um, uh, either the timing of the email or the uh, or that part of the news surprised anyone. Included in, in the news was the suggestion that, that it might not just be for this season, which we expected, but it could be could well be for uh, for three or four. Now I don't need to look far for uh, for an, an interesting reaction. Off you go, Jonesy. Well, first of all, um, we should pay tribute to uh, the broadcast partner BT Sport for telling them what to do with their idea. And I hope they keep that hold that line. The old uh, the old boys club, badly run, disastrous chief executive, no 
vision for the future. The Premiership exists now of of some fighting clubs going marvellously and their crowds who can't even get into the stadium. The admin of, of this lot is an absolute disgrace. The, if you look at who's really been affected by having COVID games off, it's none of the team. Gloucester are at the bottom of the league because they've been useless. That's why they're there. Nothing to do with having games called off. And I think it's the thin end of the wedge and eventually will call into question the whole premiership. And if they think that newspaper outlets are going to go along and cover some bottom-of-the-table clash, they've got another thing coming. Lawrence, you're a, you're a director at a club. Can you see this as a good thing or a bad thing? I'm willing to I'm willing to wait and see is what I'm saying. I, I no everyone everyone puts their points of view across saying you you can't have relegation for this reason or you shouldn't have relegation for this reason. Look at Exeter, Bristol, Newcastle, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. We don't know until you try. Now it's been forced on us because of COVID this you know, this time around. There, there's a lot of stakeholders in the game. The reality is, and I've and I've played Premiership rugby ever since it, its inception. Um, there's always been too many teams in the Premiership. You know, the, the, the 30, 12 teams is, is is too many. If you're trying to play 24 rounds of, of, of Premiership rugby, you're trying to play uh, nine weekends of, of Heineken Champions Cup rugby, and then you're trying to add another 10 test matches across a 12-month period. I, I mean, I'm I, you know, I was never good at maths anyway, but the reality is that, that that doesn't work, OK? It just does not work. And therefore, you get these massive periods and gaps in the, in the Premiership season when international players... Are, are, are no longer there. Now, I don't think that's great for the game itself. It doesn't allow the game to be marketed. So, ideally, you'd want 10 teams in the Premiership. You play each other, you know, home and away uh, and straight to a playoff and, and, and you just about get away with um, with having a few free weekends. Um, and, and at the moment, they're not there. Now, maybe... If, if if we have promotion and relegation, maybe three clubs will go out of business and, and then everyone will get what they want. You know, well, maybe that, that could happen in the next few years just because financially they're in a mess. But I, th- 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 there's no wrong or right answer is what I'm trying to say. And that's not me sitting on the fence, but I'm just saying as a player, I don't think we know whether the pros and cons of relegation exist until we actually try it. So it's been forced on us for a year. I'd be inclined to, to, to ring fence it for two years, but to come up with a decision that this could be reversible and it could go back to promotion and relegation if we thought that's in the best interest of not only the club game, but the international game as well. Ten-man premiership, completely agree with you, Lawrence. It's absolutely perfect and it ain't ever going to happen. Yeah, you're you're more likely to get 14 teams than 10. Um, You're more likely to get 14 teams split into two conferences than for it to go down to 10. They do need to get creative. They've set themselves four months to thrash out what next season and the future seasons will, will look like. The thing that interested me um, over and above the, 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 the long-running debate on promotion and relegation was, was the deal that was done in order to persuade the RFU Council, who have historically been against uh, ring fencing or halting relegation, as, as is the case with the Premiership. They voted in favour of it, strongly in favour of it, according to the RFU's statement because they had been persuaded to do so by a package uh, of measures that the premiership had agreed to look into which included more preparation time for the England team ahead of the 2023 World Cup I think they had about 11 weeks before the last World Cup so not quite sure how much more prep time they could even want never mind need and if they do that what do you do with the season you have to shorten the season or, or start it earlier for, for the RFU's perspective they felt that creating doing everything to create a winning England team 
was the best uh, outcome for them uh, in order to inspire grassroots participation and that kind of thing. I asked whether they would have held out for any any sort of direct investment from the premiership into the grassroots because surely if I was um, if I was a, a, an RFU council member from a, I could go back to my constituent body and say, listen, I voted for this, but in return we're going to get X hundreds of thousands of pounds. I was told that the, the most likely impact, positive impact for the community game is that there'll be new entry standards for, for any new club who wanted to come to the Premiership, which would demand they, they couldn't just buy their way in with a strong first team. Any club would have to have strong community routes, youth sections, women's rugby. And so that that package, plus the promise for it more England time, was what was effectively what persuaded the RFU Council to reverse their previous position and, and vote for this. At the moment, it looks a slight disaster area. You look at, I was watching Wasps play Worcester yesterday. The Wasps team, I would say, were down to their third or fourth choices somewhere. It is absolutely ludicrous that these clubs, individual clubs, are trying to exist and profit when their players are away all the bloody time. And it is wrong. I mean, what? How much longer does Eddie Jones want to prepare England? Why don't? Why not just get the team to move into his house? Then he'd have them every day. The, 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 it is about time the Premiership struck back and retained their players for more games. The, the Premiership have been trying to do that, but they've just failed because rather than shrinking and, and making themselves a tighter organisation, they're just getting flabbier and, and, and less so. It's so, been hard done by through COVID. They obviously, they extend, you know, a year, two years ago, we were moaning at, at the Premiership for expanding the season to run from September through to the end of June. But the, And the reason they agreed that was to have fewer clashes with international matches. That's been affected by COVID. That they've the kind of thing they've been able to do about that. But of course, now they're going to expand the league. They need four more weeks in the season. So, presumably, that that's not the priority that it once was. Given that there are very few clubs in the championship who actually want to go up, and that the championship is a redundant competition because it's really just a promotion vehicle for whoever's gone down, which is Saracens at the moment, can't we just go straight up to fourteen teams? put them into two leagues so you can have relegation between one and the other. So there's really intense competition between uh, at the bottom of the top league and at the, at the top of, the, of League B, if you like. Um, and then that, would give, that, would give it, that wouldn't give you enough games. So you'd have all those 14 teams and give them a, a great big cup competition as well. And then you'd have your 14 teams and you'd say to the championship, to, to Jersey or to Cornwall or to Yorkshire or whoever is... Um, whoever's able to do it, listen, we'd like to go up to 16 when we're ready. I do think that's probably the direction of travel. I mean, the man who's who's going to be certainly put in charge of all of this is, is will certainly have a big say in it, is Nigel Melville, I would, I would imagine, in his new role. And I think the consultation process of the, all the various stakeholders, which has clearly not been happening, is now going to be happening under Nigel's uh, kind of uh, watch, really. And uh, once we've got all of those, uh, or once he's got, all of those ideas, um, you know, put forward. I'm sure that they'll they'll come up with some recommendations. Yeah, absolutely right. Okay, guys, um, good stuff as always. Can we finish with our weekly God or Goddess of the week? The God of Rugby, full stop, is Johnny Wilkinson, and and any man who can um, who can eclipse Johnny Wilkinson deserves deity status, uh, and that goes to Jimmy Gopeth, who uh, probably unbeknown to everyone, surpassed the all-time premiership points record of the great god Johnny Wilkinson. And so Jimmy Gopeth becomes our 
god of the week or my god of the week. Oh, I like it. Poor old Johnny, huh? <laughs> he's still a god. <laughs> Don't worry, he's still, still a god, definitely. Although uh, I do struggle to understand exactly where he where he goes with some of the answers he gives, but certainly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've got there's a few people who've improved my weekend, so I'll, I'll probably pick Louis Resummit because you know he he really announced himself as a as a test player with some uh, that remarkable try scored to, to win the game. I thought it was, it was brilliant. I'd like to give honourable mentions to Sean Edwards again for his for that French defensive performance and parochially to Alex Corbiziero, who I uh, helped write his dark arts column last week and who really shone a new light on, it's going to sound really kind of nausea, but scrum formations and, and how different teams are, are, are preparing to effectively form a scrum. And we talked about Ireland and how they've adopted the Saracens model. They all start on their knees and go up. And I, I, I watched that Ireland game through you know, with that in mind and, how Ireland is scrummaging. They, they scrummaged for an hour against Wales with seven men and didn't concede a penalty. And I thought they scrummaged brilliantly again at the weekend. And I maybe maybe wouldn't have recognised the value of that without spending an hour on the phone to Corbs in the week. So I'd like to just give give him a nod as well. But uh, Reese Zamet as my main nominee. I've got a Welsh player. About four or five years ago, I think it was obvious that Wales weren't producing enough really big, powerful scrummages. So they still haven't got a Sinclair. Uh, who can uh, and they haven't got a uh, Andrew Porter who I thought has been scrummaging brilliantly on Saturday. There was let's say three or four years ago, Leon Brown came to the fore and he came to the fore because he's 21 stone, massive, but I can actually run, he's quick. So I thought, well, this is the answer to all their prayers. Sadly, what he's never been able to do is scrummage, and it's four <laughs> years on from his first cap. On, I am told by my contacts at the Dragons that he now is a decent scrummager. So Leon Brown's my god of the week because of what he could be in a country which has lost the art of producing world-class props. Thank you, Jonesy. I'm surprised no one mentioned the uh, the referee um, who could speak French. Luke Pierce. I mean, is is he the sort of the, the successor to uh, Nigel Owens and Wayne Barnes? Apart from he can speak better languages than them. I thought he was so clear in that um, in that France um, Ireland game with, with all his decisions, and, and, and clearly he he'd done his um, franglais uh, uh, tapes and, and and learnt all the necessaries. And yeah. it shouldn't be an achievement for a, for a referee to speak a bit of French, should it? But it seems to be it seems to be a rarity. So uh, so I'm with Luke. Okay, well listen, there we are. Thanks, Lawrence. Thanks, Jonesy. Thanks, Alex. That was the ruck. Uh, thank you, all our listeners. Funnily enough, we'll be back next week because that never changes, does it? Uh, please continue listening and, and uh, recommending and uh, have a great week. The train is now approaching. Duction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.